Is that from Ferris Bueller? I don't know what it is. Oh yeah, Chicka Chicka is from Ferris Bueller, right? I, I don't recall. What is that song? Chicka Chicka. Um, bow, bow. It is like early in the morning. I don't know what anything you're talking about is. Oh yeah, she's like... So we, we woke up at like 6 a.m. today. And we just decided not to go back to sleep because we have a really busy day today. Um, mm -hmm. We are... We have to drop the dog off at his grandmother's house. Um, my, mo my mother, yeah. not my grandmother. No, at his grandmother's house. His grandmother's house, yes. yeah. And then we are driving um, to Indianapolis. It's like a three-hour, 20-minute drive. <laughs> it's going to be Well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Let's get some introductions out yeah, of the way sure. here. Let's, hi, welcome. This is the Review Podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Brie and I'm and, drinking coffee. Oh, yeah. She's drinking out of her uh, product placement Starbucks mug. Starbucks, if you're listening. Sponsor me. me. I would love more Starbucks. I really would love more Starbucks. I'm like, my chin is touching the mic. Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm trying to I'm give as her close, signals. I'm as close as I possibly <laughs> can get without just like eating it. Why don't you put it up a little bit more? Okay. He wants me to eat it. Yeah, basically. Even though I'm, I'm, I'm very much a Dunkin' hoe. I love me a Starbucks. I, yeah, so I, um, well, to give the uh, listeners a little bit of background, you know, we, we've been playing with an audio interface and moving towards uh, different ways of getting our audio to be the way that, you know, we want it to be. And I uh, have been learning about different audio engineering things. Like, I'm no audio engineer, but I'm learning. And uh, Brie could give a shit i know about. <laughs> okay so like podcasting equipment's expensive but as long as it's with his own money like i don't care but i'm always like anthony this is like the million thing you've bought well because like, i want to buy and shit I, like so we literally like i just bought new mics like back in i don't know february and he's like let's buy new mics again and i want to get new mics again i want to get better quality microphones but they're a little expensive and it's going to be a work in progress so uh, it, like, we have a wedding to pay yeah, for. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff. And I just got a, I got a ticket. The, yeah. Oh, yeah. This Mr. Freaking doesn't know laws. Getting Listen, a ton know, of tickets. I know laws. Hey, <laughs> let's finish up our uh, okay. introductions and then we can get into okay. that stuff. Um, hi. Welcome. I'm Anthony. And I'm Bree. And this is the Review Podcast, a podcast in which we review movies. And then we review movies. Yes. We watch a movie that at least one of us has seen at least one time, and then we talk about it. We talk about the good, we talk about the bad, we talked about our questions and things that we liked. You know, um, I, I think the last few episodes of the podcast, we've been covering some, like, Things that we really like about movies. Um, we're recording this out of order, but um, oh yeah, we, last week last week should be Magnolia. But we have yet to watch it because it's so long, and we had a lot of stuff to do. So we we watched, we're super busy, so we're trying to get out. Like I picked movies that are kind of less long. Um, so of course we we went with um, my director. So we are in the midst of our director series. Um, Tim Burton and your guy, whatever his name is. Paul Thomas Anderson. Sure, okay. And um, 
my director obviously better um this isn't competition i uh, yes it is <laughs> i i had my director is better because i feel like sometimes if i have to think too much about your movie you're pretentious i think that every director is very unique in their own right and that's like part of the creative vision behind like what makes the director so important to the process is because everybody can interpret different things differently if you gave uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, the script for Beetlejuice, like it would be a completely different movie, right? So it's not that we're comparing these two directors because they're almost incomparable, but it's that we're just talking about some of the movies that we appreciate from these directors and some of the things that we think that they've done well and an analysis of their particular directorial style. And Tim Burton definitely, definitely has a style, which we're going to get uh, into a bit more here in just a minute. But first, Brie, oh, I just smacked my lips right on. I just smacked my lips right on the mic. Um, anyway, so why don't we get into um, how's your how's your week been? How's your day? Um, you know, Things good like good week. Uh, I'm I'm nearing the the finale of my grad school. Mm -hmm. And I finished my paper. I'm just like one of those people who like is a perfectionist. But I've told myself I'm finished. I've been finished all week. I'm going to read it one more time. And then I'm going to send it off to be graded. Even though it's not due till next week Friday. Yeah. Um, but I graduate on Saturday next week. So I feel like the the grade period for my professor. Yeah, it, uh, it's I, very I, no, I would walk across the stage and still on Sunday when the grading period was over if I didn't pass i didn't graduate i'm gonna be fine no yeah you're gonna yeah be fine. i'm gonna pass they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow you to graduate if you were in serious danger of not completing the assignment I'm a, or they might I'm tell a straight you a after. student like i i the thought of getting anything lower than an a makes my skin crawl i know what they used to do in like our teacher program when I, we were both at our undergrad it was like if some people some people didn't do the ed tpa or didn't get a chance to finish it or maybe failed it and needed to redo the ed tpa they still let them graduate but it's like under the circumstance of you or, need to do this again. yeah like you need you need to do this um so i they i don't think you have any cause to worry you they wouldn't let you walk down um walk for graduation if it was a real big issue, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a ticket this week. Oh, yeah, because um, he doesn't know the laws. Yeah. Well, no, it's not that I don't know the laws. You think you're above the laws? No, but kind of. <laughs> um, so I was on the phone. I was driving and I was on the phone with my mom and I was on our expressway coming home. Um, and I, I had just had a, a fairly contentious faculty meeting that day. So I was a little bit heated and, um, I was a little bit fired up on it. So I'm driving and I, you know, I don't talk with my phone up to my ear. That's illegal. You're not supposed to do that. I know that you're not supposed to do that, but I was talking on speakerphone and I did have my phone in my right hand as I was driving. No other cars around me. And... I kept my eyes on the road while talking to my mom. Little did I know there was a police officer literally driving to my left. And he um, apparently stared right at him. He, well, he pulled me over and I was like, 
tell my mom, oh, I'm getting pulled over. I'll call you back. And he comes up to my car. And, you know, I'm fairly uh, nice, like, upon first meeting. So I rolled down my window. I have my license and my uh, uh, proof of insurance. And I said, hello, officer. And then immediately he came at me hot. He's like, why are you on your phone? And just get being very confrontational at the beginning. So I matched his energy. <laughs> Never a good idea. Naturally. That's what happens with me sometimes. And Bree has been in this situation with me before where I'm initially nice. But if your first comment to me is something that is like rude or uh, confrontational, I immediately match that energy. And so I did that with the police officer because I pretty much knew why I was getting pulled over. And I pretty much knew that he was going to give me the ticket anyway. So I started challenging him. And um, I'll, I'll make a long story short. We argued for about 10 minutes about what constitutes use of a cell phone while driving. And I was trying to explain to him that I wasn't actively in the process of using my cell phone it was in my hand i said uh he he gave me the ticket eventually and then i looked at the ticket and i said well uh, let me ask you a question and he goes what and i said what what constitutes proper use of a cell phone because i was just driving and i had my eyes on the road and i had the phone in my right hand i said just holding the phone is use of a cell phone and he's like you just admitted you were on speakerphone earlier i'm like yeah but i wasn't actively using my phone he's like what do you think actively using my your phone is and i said text messaging looking down at it using the internet using uh email or whatever i said i wasn't doing any of that he goes you were on your phone and i was driving on your left and you turned your head and you looked me dead in the eyes and you didn't stop and i said i didn't even know you were there and then I told him, if I had looked you dead in the eyes and looked to my left over my shoulder, that would have been more distracting than what I actually did. And then he just kept trying to tell me, you were on your phone, you were on your phone. So we were arguing for about 10 minutes about what is proper use of a phone. And he ends up giving me the ticket. Because you're in the wrong. Because I was in the wrong. Yeah, I know I was in the wrong. But I might as well try to argue. But... I, uh, I I accepted the ticket and I said, um, he, he goes, you know, if you if you really have a problem with it, he's like, it's a great thing. We have a fantastic justice system in the state and you can f uh, file a court date and you can fight that ticket. And I said, you know what? I think I might I might just do that. And I said, I hope you're there. I hope I see you there. And he left because um, I had to get the last word in and uh, I'm not going to court. But because no, he was wrong. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not going to court. But they overcharged me. I looked at the law. I looked at the statute. And it said in like our state, uh, first time ticket for a cell phone is $75. They charged me $164 for this. They That's because you're smart ass mouth. That's probably why. Yeah. And I'll accept it because, I mean, A, I was in the wrong. And B, um, you were a smart ass. I was being a smart ass. And I was ar being argumentative when. I could have I could have just easily lied to him and said like, "Oh my god, it's an emergency. Like I'm sorry, I'm trying to get to this place. I'm trying to talk to this person." And maybe like he tells me um I you know, usually I give people a break on these things, but you looked me dead in the eye. I was like, "I I didn't do that, but okay, I guess." So, yeah, that was my that was my day. I I would be more bummed about it and like more angry if I 
was wronged, but I I was wrong. Yeah, I you, myself you was were wrong. you were way wrong. Yeah, totally. I even told like my students about that, and, and they were was, like, "You're wrong." Yeah, the one kid goes, "You are so in the wrong," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yeah, I know," but I knew I was getting the ticket anyway, so might as well try to get out of it. Um. So yeah, that that was my day, and then I, we were just coming off of a a meeting for our faculty about our AP program, and there was some uh, contention between what we wanted to do and probably the most confrontational I've gotten in a faculty meeting. So I was a little bit fired up on that and that probably didn't help the situation, but it is what it is. Brie, my mom tells me you get more tickets than anybody I know. (laughs) This is my third ticket (laughs) in the past like year and a half. Well, maybe you should stop driving. I can Get an Uber. Is Uber everywhere and spend a hundred dollars each day? Yeah, because you're better than you spending a hundred dollars on a ticket. Yeah, I don't he, know about he that. tried his hands-free device and I told him it sounds fine. Well, yeah, because I was having problems with it and that's why I didn't use my hands-free Bluetooth whatever. Mine, my, I feel like mine is really good quality. I don't know how I sound to other people. Oh, it's all right. Um. Anyway. That was uh that was my week. We got Teacher Appreciation Week coming up next week. Again, we're recording this out of I'm order. I'm super but... excited because I'm not going to get my hopes up, but we're supposed to get like your, a bonus. No, your district does like crazy nice things for you. And I feel like we like my school does like pretty nice stuff for us, but not nearly on the level of your you're getting like we're gonna get a personalized bonus. masks and mugs and stuff. And I'm so excited for the bonus. That's like the only part I want. So we're getting like an undisclosed amount of money as a bonus for teaching during the pandemic. One of the districts close to us got an astronomical amount. We're not gonna get anywhere near that. I've been joking with my coworkers that we're gonna get fifty dollars on a gift card. But fifty dollars to PF Chang's. I know, but the, one of the districts near us got nine grand a teacher. But, okay, so your district is kind of underfunded. Yeah, we're poor. So, so like, we're going to get $50 in a gift card. <laughs> yeah, you're, I I told Bree the other day, I'm like, please don't get your hopes up about this. But, you this. know, even like $500, it's still like $500 more than I had before. No, yeah. So, like, I would even settle for that. I just, like, I feel like, why even bother if it's $50? You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. it has to be, like, uh, at least 100 They can't hype it up that much and give you, like, a I'm minuscule like, I'm amount. I'm like, it's, it should be in the thousands. I, I Here's what I'm going to guess. I'm going to throw out a number. Okay. I'm going to say you're going to get, like, a $2,000. That would be perfect. I would yeah. put it all towards the wedding. So, then we mm-hmm. didn't have to pay um, a lot of money towards that. Yeah. And then I recently... Or maybe I put it towards our honeymoon. Right. Because I'm paying for, like, a couple of things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. I recently signed another contract to come back to my school next year. I myself got a bit of a raise, which I'm pretty stoked about. Um, you know, as much as I voice my, uh, not complaints, I guess, but, like, things that my school, I feel like my school can do better you love your school i love that i like i there there's a a loyalty aspect there and it's like i I was telling brie one day when i was there was a moment where i was really considering like not renewing my contract with the school and it was like a brief like couple of day period where i was just mad and um i told her i'm like it's it's tough for me to leave that school when 
they literally give me everything that I ask for. And I have no, like, problems negotiating. Where it's like, my first year I expressed to my boss, you know, I'm, I'm re- I really want to teach the AP politics course. And next year, I'm teaching the AP politics course. This year it was, I want the MUN elective to go through. Well, guess what? I'm teaching the MUN elective next year. And you get really lucky with like the things yeah. that you want. Um, I've, I think I've done my first disloyal thing to my school um, by, oh, it, by yeah. expressing interest and in transferring to a different school in the district. But it's still in the district, you know. I know. But I feel like like a lot of... Uh, here's the issue. A lot of people rely on me in the school I'm in now. Like I, but that's not your I problem. Do, I do a lot of heavy lifting as like only like a fourth year teacher i do like i'm my team leader i lead people who are like have like 20 plus years of experience and i'm the team leader and i think that's one of the major problems that you know i voice to you and in i just saying like what something that we can do better i think at my school is we have a lot of veteran teachers like people that have been there for 20 25 30 years and they're think, reluctant to take leadership roles. That's that's the thing. They're not not only reluctant to take leadership roles, but they're reluctant to change. So when I come in with um I know, come in guns blazing. I come in guns blazing and I come in, oh wow, uh Anthony is you know, he goes to grad school for two years and thinks he knows everything. That's my issue. Like my principal has been like priming me, sending me to different things. And it's like I don't wanna seem like I'm a goody two shoes. She, she's um, the new teacher on the block, but she does all this stuff for the school. And I'm like, but here's the thing. I'm like, I'm like if no one else is going to step up, I'm going to step up. Like I plan every activity that first grade does. I've planned it. Mm-hmm. I've put the wheels in motion. Like we're doing an ABC countdown to the end of the year. I created the whole thing. Yeah. Like I did all the work. I submitted it to our principal for approval. Like I do everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it gets like kind of tiring because you're like, I wish I was on a team where we were actually a team. And like, like that collaboration aspect is there and everybody kind of knows their role and is not reluctant to change what they're doing to accommodate for that role like i've expressed to my coworkers several times i'm like we should all be doing the exact same thing at the exact same mm, time yeah. using the exact same rubric yes i've also tried to express that and and they're like i'm like you can't be grading um subjectively which is one of the issues i have with one of my teachers in my grade level i'm like she was great so we're supposed to do a check if the kid doesn't do something so it's like knows how to cut with scissors they either check it like they don't know how to do it or you leave it blank and they know how to do it Mm -hmm. she was giving grades for those things i'm like how do you you grade grade on how i I said how do you grade and i was i was going through this with her i was like you can't put a grade on paper cutting they either can cut or Or they they can't can't cut cut. yeah (laughs) and she's i'm like it's not a grading system like this was when she was newer but I still have to explain like our grade book to her like almost every time because like that's my job as the team leader to like remind you, hey, report card comments are due by this time on Friday. Make sure you get those done. She still didn't do progress report comments, even though they were due yesterday by the end of the day. I asked her, hey, did you remember to do your report card comments? She's like, no, I didn't think they were due. I was like, I reminded you they're due Friday at three. 
you have mm-hmm. to get your i was like guess what? you're staying at school and getting these done because they were due and you didn't do them we had a is whole this a week. newer teacher like young no she is like a 20 plus years of experience oh, wow. she joined she took my friend's place as the other member of the so she's been there three years mm-hmm. apparent new to the school but new not to, to the, the school but not new to the profession she should have it down like the grade book shouldn't be something that she's confused about still yeah, you've been in this yeah. district for three years like come on girl with, with my school it's there's so much teacher creative freedom and that's a great thing but it's also not a great thing because every teacher runs their classroom and their expectations and their standards in a different way so what like the the thing that i've expressed this year more than any other year is we all need to be on the same page about things because like me and my world history class shouldn't be teaching skills differently or assessing skills differently than the honors world so history. Like we should all be on the my same suggestion page. it's like you you and another world history teacher should have the same like major points in a on a timeline like this we're yes. going to teach everything at this time no no no. so here's but the thing about you history. should like no not i'm not talking about content chron- i'm not talking about chronologically a timeline i'm saying you should put con like we're in this time we're gonna be teaching this and this time we're gonna be teaching this and this Con- time so here's like with that world history class content doesn't matter you can teach I know. content the the like but here's kids don't give a shit about the mayans it's the fact that what are they going to remember coming out of that course? He doesn't they're not let gonna, me finish. They're I'm not going to remember the Mayans. They're going to remember the skills. Go ahead. You can finish. And you should have the same skills you're going to teach according to what you're going to teach in world history. But your delivery of the content is different sure. because you're two different people. Yes. But your rubrics, your mm-hmm. assignments should be the same. We work a lot with DBQs, document-based questions. And so I just like, gives... I don't get the fact that you're not having the exact same, like the homework assignments should be almost identical. Like, I don't, well, I don't know about that, but if our, you're a true, co- true collaboration, then the formatives have to be for, for those who are not education privy, a formative assessment is like a smaller thing that you would give like for homework that kind of leads up to the test or the essay and kind of like assesses skills that way. Not if you're, if you teach all like the freshman, like honors kids, like their assignments aren't going to be the same as like the college prep kids. But the skills should be but the, the same. Ki- but they should have the same skills. Of course, the homework's going to be different because you expect more from the honors kids. Sure, yeah. But the skills you're teaching mm-hmm. should be the same and the content you're teaching should be the same but like of course the honor stuff you go into more depth well like what we're experiencing right now is that our lower track students are getting taught how to like let's say format an essay or they're being assessed on skills of essay writing differently than the honors or the um like middle track and when they like say a kid from the lower track moves up for they the are next now year, confused now they're confused because it's like well i like my teacher focused in on thesis writing whereas this other teacher focused in on document analysis for example and we like in, in terms of an assessment tool like a rubric we should all be on the same page we should have a division wide rubric that we use which i've 
started piloting this PLC well, group and uh, we're but trying you also to have develop to, that. You also have to bridge the rubric to allow difficulty level for, because an A in an, a lower yeah. track is like a C in like a higher track. Well, and then that's, I, I think that's what should be maybe left up to teacher discretion is like, how are how are you going to assess honors differently from the lower track and you with with me because i do teach the lower track with me it's like i give a little leeway like i'm not going to be a giant stickler for small spelling errors like i'm going to correct it but i might not take points off for it you know i think like there should be at least how it is in my college course there's like one like spelling and grammatical errors is worth like three points total out mm -hmm. of like a 20 point paper so like the lowest one is like it's riddled with spelling and mechanical errors the that's one point yeah and, and, and that's the, like, similar to a rubric that two, i have two points it's like there's few grammatical errors no there's like there's like a decent amount and then like the three there's like maybe one or two mechanical or spelling errors still allowing kids to get the full three points even if like they make a small spelling error or a small mechanical yeah error. it's not one of those things where like i'm holding them to the standard of well the the entire paper is great but you spelled this one word wrong and now that's points off that's a little unfair okay we should probably oh, get, yeah, we, this um, became a teacher podcast really i've quick. got listen we're um one of one of my students um, comes up to me the other day, and for whatever reason, this kid had scissors for hands, <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, where did you get those scissors?" And he said, "I I was born with them. Like they were just always there. The the, the inventor never finished." <laughs> and I said, "Hmm, this sounds very similar to a movie I just watched called Edward Scissorhands," which if you haven't guessed already, um, we're going to be reviewing Tim Burton's classic Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands starring Johnny Depp as Edward, Winona Ryder. Uh, who else? Is it? It's uh, Alan Arkin is in this movie. Um, oh god, Diane Weist. And uh, oh god, who plays the jock? East, I thought you said Weast. <laughs> and then the, the boyfriend, whose name I can't remember, but he also plays Tommy Doyle in Halloween Kills, which is where I recognized him from. Always playing the hothead, this guy. He Always playing the, like the well. jock. I really am excited to talk about this movie um, because we've had we had a lot of like interesting conversations while we were watching it. Oh yeah, we so Bree brought up a good point while we were watching the movie. It's like when we first started recording the podcast and we were watching movies, it was like we would. I I made a point. I'm like. We cannot talk during the movie because we got to save our conversation for the podcast. A couple months later, five months after we've started the podcast, it's now we just talk and because now we we, 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 all, we have that conversation. And sometimes already. I write down the notes that we talk about while we're watching. The and movie. I think that's really helpful because now it's like this is something we make note of. Like this is something we want to go further into on the podcast mm -hmm. and. Um, this is something we can bring up on the podcast. So Anthony's going to go into like the background stuff. So let him do that. Um, I didn't really research all that much, but lovely. Um, background information. So the movie is from 1990. Um, so they're the me. Uh, movies from 1990. We have Tim Burton here. He's coming off of Beetlejuice, and he started. Uh, he originated the story. Um, I don't know if he actually wrote the script, but. He originated the story, and from my understanding and my reading of 
uh, some of the background history of this movie. He talked. He he said he wanted to create a movie about his childhood growing up in the suburbs and how how he just thought the suburbs were like a weird place, not cartoonish, but like weird in the sense of like for an outsider or somebody who maybe didn't belong in the suburbs. The suburbs can be kind of a isolating place, isolating, strange place where it's like maybe you're not accepted for who you are. So. I, listen, I don't know where he came up with the story of a guy with scissors for hands. Um, I didn't read that far into it. But I watched, when we started this movie, I looked at Brie and I was like, how do you even come up with a concept like this? This is so like far reaching and so like This sounds there. like something I would have a dream about and then write down. Yes. that And I, I feel like Tim Burton, that's maybe how he came up with the idea. I, I don't know that for sure. But it sounds like he was just like... Dude, what if this guy had like scissors for hands? Wouldn't that be cool? It's a very interesting movie. And this is where we get like, the. I think this is like the birth of the real Tim Burton style. Because Beetlejuice is a bit more cartoony and like chaotic for the sake of being chaotic. This one's more of a, a drama. This one's less kooky, less crazy. And I mean, it's still kooky. It's still a little kooky. I mean, we have that Danny Elfman music that's kind of similar to Beetlejuice but also I think it sounds like Home Alone did you did you did you get that feeling too the the music kind of with the angelic choir Uh, no okay well she's shaking her head at me yeah I'm I'm not agreeing (laughs) yeah uh well that that's kind of where I was going with it but the music is interesting because it can be sometimes cartoony and kooky, but then it can also be very like fairy tale esque. Like I'm, I'm watching, uh, like I'm, I'm watching a fantasy movie essentially. And we we really talked about this, but Tim Burton really comes into his like his his thing here, where we have like it looks like the beginning looks kind of gothic you have like the gothic architecture um it's really black and white in some um areas and then also very colorful in others to like show the contrast there's a definite contrast between i think tim burton especially in beetlejuice he used this with the striped suit and everything the contrast between white and black or light and black every color at once versus the absence of color and how what that represents um I was listening to a podcast recently called Canceled Movie Report, and they were covering Superman Lives, the unmade Superman movie with Tim Burton at the helm. And they were talking about um, like what what a Superman movie directed by Tim Burton could look like. So they were listing off like a couple of Tim Burton mm-hmm. stylistic choices, and I was like, wow, now that they've mentioned it, I can't stop noticing this stuff, um, especially the wide lens that's used. And once I pointed it out to Brie too, you're like, I, I can't stop. I can't stop it. looking at um, understanding so like, what I, he actually like. Like we have about. this very gothic style. We have this very wide lens that's used in the camera so that everything looks fish-eyed. The fact that like everything in the foreground in this movie is like massive, but everything in the background is kind of tiny. And we know how Tim Burton plays with miniatures and how he plays with size in Beetlejuice. So it's interesting to come into this movie where we made note about it, you know, multiple times watching the movie where it's like, 
why do the people look massive and the background and environment look small? But in other times when it's a very wide shot, like in the attic of the castle. Sometimes the, the background. The scenery is big. Is huge and the people look small. Yeah. So there's there's a definite like play with size here. And I'm not really sure what it means or what it's supposed to elicit. Or maybe the sense of like uncomfortability. Also vastness. Like yeah. feeling. I feel like when the background is big and the characters are small, the characters kind of feel out of place. That's a good point. Yeah, um, like definitely when she walks into the attic for the first time. Winona Ryder? No. Or um, uh, the mom. Peg, the yeah. mom. Um, she's definitely out of place and she looks very small in this huge space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, he's probably trying think, to do something with size and, I think and Tim, convey a message with Tim the Burton size. Tim Burton might be trying to, because I mean, I think a big theme in this movie is... I also is, think, sorry, I'm interrupting No, go ahead, you. yeah. When he comes into the house for the first time and he's huge mm-hmm. and the house is small, I feel like it's also showing he, like he doesn't fit here. Yes, I was just about to say that. You're, you, you have spoiled my point. <laughs> I think a big theme here is being an outsider and being in a place where you don't exactly fit in. So when, like you said, when we have Peg going up to the castle attic for the first time and everything's really big and wide and she seems very out of place or Edward coming into the house for the first time and he's big while everything's small, it elicits a feeling of uncomfortability that this character doesn't belong in that, in that environment. But, you know, as we move further and I think as Edward gets a little bit more comfortable in that environment, he becomes the he size, becomes the same size. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we get like this, um, beginning scene with all, um, with it's like the title sequence with like these weird kooky looking machines. Yeah. And Anthony and I looked at each other like, this is like very nightmare, um, before Christmas esque. And I was like, this is probably some of the inspo for like, the whole like look of Did Nightmare Before Tim Burton Christmas. Didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas. No, he Christmas. produced it. Okay, well that makes more sense because I we I mean you said it when we were watching. Like I feel like they watched Edward Scissorhands. And were like, let's put this in stop motion claymation. And it, it, you can tell there's like definitely um, some inspo. There's also some architecture that's very reminiscent of Beetlejuice as well. In it's this, that, in it's the that castle. Tim Burton arch- uh, gothic style of architecture, like you said, where. I mean, you can see it in Batman, too. Like, Wayne Manor is big. And I think that Tim Burton plays around with the idea of isolation in big areas a lot, too. Even when you look at Beetlejuice, the Matlin's ho- Matlinson, I think, the, uh, uh, Barbara and Adam, mm-hmm. um, their house initially is... I, I made a note. I'm like, this is a massive house. This is a huge house. And... Though, but you- as, like... New people move in, the house becomes less, less wide and less smaller or less. It becomes like it feels smaller than it, yeah. it did before. In Batman, um, Wayne Manor is like huge and almost empty, and it seems like Bruce is like isolated in that big, open, empty space. Similarly, Edward is the same way in that castle, right? Um, so I think Tim Burton plays around with the idea in his, not only this movie, but in a lot of movies of the effects of isolation in a big space. Yeah. So this movie um, opens up strangely. There's a little girl in a giant bed. Like this bed is huge. Grandma. Again, playing with yeah, size, right? Grandma's tucking her in and she's asking like, um, Grandma, like, 
where does snow come from? Because it starts snowing. And she's like, well, that's a complicated question. It all starts with scissors. No. Well, she said, the kid goes, where does snow come from? And she goes, that's a long story. I said, is it? Is and it I really said, a well, long story? And then I'm like telling Anthony because I'm like, well, the whole. Mind ex- you, I haven't seen this movie Yeah, in I'm like, years. well, the whole explanation for snow is that Edward's up there making ice sculptures. And. Um, Suspension of disbelief. Was, you know? Yeah. And she's, well, it's like it all starts with scissors. Um, and so she talks about a man with scissors for hands. And then we get like the story. So like. This is a grandma telling a story about what happened. We don't know what's real and what's not. We real. don't know if this neighborhood actually looked like this. We don't know if this like story like by the end of the movie we see Edward up there. So of course like it's a true story from grandma's perspective, but we don't know if the story we're told like the house the houses are very much in pastel colors. The neighborhood is very like There's cookie green, cutter. Green, blue, yellow, pink. And the the neighborhood looks very cookie cutter. Like every house looks exactly the same. All the men folk leave the house at the same time. All the women folk, as soon as the men leave, are all like gossiping and stuff. So we don't know if that's actually how the neighborhood looked and was, or if that's how grandma remembers the neighborhood being. Yeah, that's how she perceived it. Because you made a good point that this is fairy tale esque. This is very much fantasy, where I think we're supposed to get this glimpse of this world doesn't exist, right? Like, this world is imaginative. This world is creative. This might be from grandma's imagination. She might be sugarcoating the story a little bit for for her grandchild. She might be over-exaggerating things, you know? She might be getting very descriptive about the scenery in a way that's interesting for a story, but maybe not in real life. Um, so, one thing I wanted to, to bring up here is this idea of this the year that we're that this movie takes place in it's ambiguous it's ambiguous but it's very much reminiscent of the 60s yeah the way that peg is dressed when she's going door to door and selling makeup, the way the other women are i, I pointed it out to bria so that's jackie kennedy-esque you know dress that she's wearing with a little cap on and uh just the way that the suburbs look and the way that the women dress in the movie it seems very 1960s and very or maybe like early 70s and it's very ambiguous as to what year this movie takes place, but it kind of makes sense that it would be in the 1960s or so because like none gra- of the women, grandma's telling the story. And none of the women are like working. Grandma's telling the story in presumably 1990. So it would make sense that she's telling it from when she was a teenager, which might have been a number of years ago, mm-hmm. right? So I, and then I thought about it and I thought about Tim Burton's idea for the concept of this movie of making a movie movie about the suburbs really he might have been a child during the 60s yeah so i'm thinking that this is very much like tim burton's tim burton's suburbs from the way he remembers it as as it was when he was a kid maybe getting nostalgic over the the look of it all and we have our first character introduced with who is peg and she sells avon which i was like uh, that's like one of the most um prominent things i remember from this movie i looked at anthony i said i know the lady sells avon and i was like and that's weird that avon let them put that oh yeah because they had to they probably had to get approval to use that name and those products and they poop on avon sometimes they're like 
darn this stuff it's not working and nobody wants to buy the avon and it, it doesn't make avon look particularly and you good. know and I, I turned to you several times i was like i've owned that and i've owned that because my mom sold avon mm-hmm. i think that's something we all can connect with i mean if you had a parent who sold avon but no one wants to buy Avon. <laughs> i i was just thinking about that was like avon had to approve this but it doesn't make avon look do you, you know, know how much great. like avon stuff we had growing up like my mom like had all avon makeup every time we got a new avon catalog my mom let me and my sister pick out like one thing from avon mm-hmm. and that cream that peg has on her bedside table yeah i had that you, cream you did point it that does out. smell like grandma though it does smell like grandma's particular smell it's yeah i think that everybody knows what that smell it's like rose water yeah we all know that the grandma smell is rose water um i have several rose water candles in this house i just like smelling like i guess like when because my grand both grandparents have passed away for me and i really like that rose water smell it makes me think of my grandmother Mm -hmm. um yeah so uh Going back to the colors of the house, I think it's really interesting here how it's like the bright pastel colors kind of contrast Edward in the castle in a way and how Tim Burton plays with those colors where it's like Edward is very clearly like gothic and dark and he's got pale skin and everything. He is not supposed to be in this environment. For sure. Um, I think so... The reason we get Edward in the first place is Peg is going around house to house. No one wants to buy Avon. She's having a hard day. And she sees the castle and she's like, someone is bound to live up there. And I was like, what would make her believe that as it looks like it hasn't been occupied in a long time? So she goes up to the house to try to sell Avon. (laughs) To an almost like a very clearly abandoned castle. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So that's where she finds Edward and he's like um like crawling around the corner and he comes up to her and she's like oh i'm sorry i should leave and he's like don't go like i'm, no, I'm not so scary this is something that comes up throughout the movie is maybe it was the 1960s because this is tim burton's like nostalgic look at the 60s and the idea of the suburbs which were becoming a big thing historically in the 1960s that everybody is just okay with i think in like 2022 if you saw a man dressed like a gimp with scissors for hands i think you would be a little like i'm getting out of here like or i'm not gonna deal very with much you. a trusting like she, she immediately is like i trust you that you're not gonna like stab me and she uses she's like oh look at all those scars let me let me give you something for avon <laughs> I, I think in 20 20- Oh, I just hit the mic. Sorry. Um, I did that too. So um, I think in 2022, we're a little bit more distrusting of people and we're a little bit more cautious of people that are um, drastically different than us, you know, where it's, I, every generation deals with people that are different in different ways. While we are more accepting of those that look different of us, we are definitely more cautious in 2022 about like, who we trust and like the, the the type of person we trust. I'm just saying, if I saw a guy walking down the street in a gimp suit with scissors for hands, I would probably turn the other way. I was like, oh, not today. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't invite him to live with me. Yeah, which she does. She she takes him to like 
like the, she takes him home because he lives by himself he's by himself and she's like you can move in with us and like that sets off the rumor mill in this like town by like f not even 10 minutes later everybody knows that peg has a, a guest they saw her driving around town with a man in the car and everyone's like in her business like trying to like standing outside her house until the men folk all start coming home at the same time and then all the women go back to their house I, what i think gets me is just this idea of peg sees edward and immediate it kind of like initially she's like okay i'll go but then when he he uh uh lets his guard down a bit and he says don't go she at that point she's like you're my child now and i think it's like i'm, I'm not gonna, i'm your mom i'm not now. gonna assume what you like assuming anything about like tim burton but it's like it really feels like peg takes on this motherly role and throughout the whole movie she believes the best of edward like edward's not doing anything on purpose like but maybe just maybe like this isn't the right environment is what she comes up with at the end and i'm skipping around a lot because, because she she is very much under the impression of and she her, wants her the husband best. is the same way where it's like edward just he's he's lost he doesn't know uh how society functions so he needs to be taught that he needs to be acclimated to an a normal societal way of going about life but you maybe can't, that's like you can't not just what... do this you can't just uh you have to make the right decisions right you have to know the difference between right and wrong and i'm wondering if like that's his own relationship with his mother where like mom loves you regardless of what you do but like you don't fit in here and i know you don't fit in here but i want to like shield you from that of course i, I love you he's like these people they like she kind of like like shields him from the reality of all these people are turning on you. Yeah, and uh, this movie I think is very much about self discovery too, of being that outsider and being in a in a place where you you don't quite fit in, but still trying to find yourself and finding like who you want to be and what you value. So like Edward comes from an environment where he's never exposed to society he's and never then, exposed to reality but when he gets there he needs to learn but he's being dragged in a couple I, of different I feel like directions he gets been bombarded with attention as soon as he arrives here so mm -hmm. like the women all outside peg's house they want to meet him and then the next day they're like you're hosting a barbecue right and they all like kind of invite themselves over to their house and there's this one scene where they're all like feeding him stuff and i said this very the grinch reminiscent oh yeah where they're like just shoving food in his face and i'm like think about but he be, likes the attention being like pull like you get all this like positive attention and then you do one thing wrong and like you, it's like you didn't even know any better and you did one thing wrong and then this whole neighborhood treats you like a pariah it's i, I think edward is reminiscent of like a puppy where like you the puppy needs to be taught right from wrong and the puppy doesn't really know how to con how to manage its emotions, you know? So, like, when Edward, when Edward is wronged, he lashes out, right? Like, he stabs the tire while walking down the street. He stabs or the tire. He, he scrapes up the walls. He scrapes up the walls. Um, 
Like it's different than when he first comes into the house and he pops the waterbed because he's just like that's curious. Just an accident. I'm like, yeah. and that's like a funny part of this. It's like he he does pop like the waterbed. The, the whole especially first when um uh she comes home. That's the daughter comes home. What's her, her name? Uh, Kim. Kim comes comes home and like finds Edward in her room and like there's like this whole scene where like she screams and is a, and is afraid of him. I almost said a scared of him, <laughs> um, afraid of him. And Edward like bolts up and then starts poking holes in the water. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the whole first half of this movie, I think is like Tim Burton saying, what kind of kooky situations could a guy with scissors for hands get like, into? He likes to like clip the, like the bushes into different shapes. He becomes a dog groomer. Then he becomes like a hairstylist. He's doing all this stuff with scissors for hands. And it's very much the whole town is really like rallied around him. They treat him really nicely because he's doing things for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. He even gets some negative sexual attention from um joyce like the the town uh you know yeah, yeah, yeah the one that gets around a little bit uh where promiscuous he, in the 60s yeah where like they're going to like look at a um a salon for him to possibly you know buy and she kind of like tries to jump his bones and like this is a man who was created He's never experienced any sexual we, we attention. We don't even know if he has a sex organ. Yeah, he's not. never experienced any like a, attention this way before. He's very much childlike in the sense that like he comes to dinner, he meets the family for dinner, and he's like, "Miss blah 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 showed me like Miss Joy showed me the um the thing. She took me into the back room and she took all her clothes off." The and like everyone's kind of like except the dad. Everyone kind of mm -hmm. eyes go wide cuz like it's inappropriate. And, like, Peg views Edward as, like, kind of childlike. But we also have to recognize that this is, like, an adult-ish, like, man body that he occupies. Even if he was just created maybe, like, a couple years ago. He The body in which he inhabits is of an adult man. Yeah, and part of me thinks this is a, a message about, like, nature versus nurture. This Like, Edward's a blank slate. When he gets to society, he's being dragged in different directions and he's being taught different things by different people. And it's like, how do you decipher what is the right move and what's not the right move? And we're dealing with Edward. If Edward was in a different environment than the, the, uh, I don't know their he last He would have been name. a different person. He would have been a completely different person. But because Edward got dragged into an environment that was nurturing and warm he was all about, I need to protect the ones that I love instead of, um, you know, be, being a jerk, I guess, and, like, using his scissors for hands for evil instead of good. So, the, like, Edward's a blank slate, and because he's being dragged around and, well, you should do this, or you should do this, um, and he he really doesn't know how to make the right decision he does have some sort of like romantic like or sexual energy though because he does find himself attracted to kim and kim's boyfriend kind of gives her like grief about that makes and, like, fun of edward and makes fun of edward and he even points out like edward would do anything you asked and she's like don't say that no he wouldn't but then we get the 
the part of the movie where he everyone starts to turn against Edward. It's Kim and her boyfriend want to break into her boyfriend's house to sell some of his like parents stuff, but make it seem like it was a robbery so the parents can get money. Like it's insurance fraud technically. Yeah. Cause like the, they'll get their stuff reimbursed, but they also, he will also make money off the stuff he sells that belongs to his parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so they like get Edward to, they trick Edward to like open the door to the house, but then Edward gets like trapped inside because they have security and everyone else bails on him. And so Edward gets caught, you know, and he gets arrested and that's where like the rumor mill comes from. Like, well, well, and then they, they shift their focus and it's like. I always knew he was uh, kind of a shady fella, and uh, even Joyce says at one point, like, he assaulted me. I can't believe it. She frames it it as, like, he was the aggressor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It's an interesting commentary on, because when we have that, like, barbecue scene in the beginning, there's there's definitely a commentary there about how accepting everybody is of of somebody who's much different than them. At the very beginning, and then like you said, the moment that one thing goes wrong or he does something that they don't like or appreciate, they immediately start turning on him and they immediately are like, "Cause they're, well, there's the one dude who goes up to Edward and he's like, don't let anybody call you handicapped. He's like, and, then he calls and then he calls him a cripple. <laughs> it's so like, it's really, it's a commentary on that, like s- people in the suburbs are fake. Yeah. And I think Tim Burton was trying to make that, that notion. And he even said in interviews, he's like, I'm not trying to knock the suburbs. He's like, I'm not trying to show the suburbs as a bad place. I'm trying to show it as a weird place because Tim Burton's all about but weird. I, but I would say the suburbs are a weird place and we live in the suburbs. So like we could definitely talk about how not necessarily as small of a place as uh, Edward Scissorhands, but I feel like we I live in we now live in a smaller suburb than I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Like this is definitely and I grew up in the city. I, so. I grew up in a city suburb. Like we it was a suburb not too far outside of the city. Houses are still very close together and we're very close to everything. Like you could walk to the store. You could walk we live in a suburb now. You cannot walk to the store. You gotta take it you gotta take like a car almost everywhere. You're only close to houses, which is what this suburb is. Like all there's no store like real store shown there's no fences and they're like it's very much looks like an hoa mm-hmm. like ready-made suburb this is a very quaint very small community that everybody knows each other yeah so they start turning against edward and um when he gets back home um to the um the family kim's like you must have been really upset when they told you whose house it was and he's like i knew it was his house He's like, she's like, then why did you do it? He says, because you asked me to. And that's where she kind of like gets hit with that. I think that's where she kind of like falls for Edward in a sense where this is someone who would do anything for me. Mm -hmm. Like this is someone who appreciates me for me. Whereas her boyfriend's kind of a jerk. But Edward takes responsibility for the bad thing that he did. And... He, he doesn't try to blame anybody. He doesn't throw anybody under no, the bus. No, he chose to do what he did, knowing yeah. it, it was wrong to do. But And then I think that's why when the the dad's like trying to teach him right from wrong, like if you find money on the street, what do you do with it? And he says, give it to my loved ones instead of hand it over to the police. It's like 
Edward has Which a isn't different, necessarily the wrong decision, it's, but it's not the ethical yeah. decision. And I I raise this question to you because this is a psychology question we were given in our AP psych class okay. forever ago. It's if you is it wrong? Would you convict a man for stealing a cure for his wife disease his wife disease because he couldn't afford it? It's the that's the Aladdin thing. It's like or Robin Hood, if you steal from the rich and give to the poor type scenario where is it am, am I am right? I wrong? Am I wrong for shoplifting food if it's to feed my family because I don't have any money? And it's like the same thing where people like there was in New York City, um, the cops posted a picture of a hall they stopped a shoplifter and the hall that they took a picture of was just diapers and formula and they immediately took it down after they got backlash from it because it's a common thing among folks if you see someone shoplifting diapers and formula you just let them shoplift the diapers and formula you, well for me i'm so non-confrontational to strangers you that just it's shoplift like, anything <laughs> if you shoplift i'm gonna say hey that guy's like look, look over look over to brie and be like is that guy shoplifting and not say anything to anybody else but i think i i'm very much under the i'm very much like is it is it morally like is it ethically wrong is it morally wrong? ethically wrong yes morally wrong no because, because you that's want, the law it's like the law is the law, but I would do anything to save your life. Yeah, there's right. So, but I think we're in the understanding about that as a society where it's like, if I, the, the judge might be lenient in the sentencing, right? Like if I get caught for that, I might not get the maximum sentence. I might get like a fine, like a small fine. But it might not be jail time. But, you know, sometimes judges are rude, especially w to women who kill their abusers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes judges are not lenient. No, that's true. And it's like, because you murdered someone. Yes, murder is wrong. But this man was beating her daily or assaulting her daily. Or there's the cases of like when... A robber breaks into a house and is killed uh, or gravely injured while they're in the house, and then the robber sue or the robber's family sues or something. And you're like, "Wow!" Well, there, there have been cases like that where the family of the assaulter gets, you know, the positive whatever gets the win in that situation. And it's not morally right. It all depends on the law. I don't know. There's no right answer for There's this, no I guess. Right. Well, I guess we we just don't know. I, I feel for Edward because I agree with him. Like, if I found money, I'd give it to my loved ones as well. Because if it goes to the police, there's a chance that no one's ever going to look for that money. Or the police can take it. Or the police are going to take it. Yeah. Like, we don't trust the police. Not in this house. Um. <laughs> Especially when they give you tickets for being for having a cell phone in your hand. Yeah, so... And then tell you we have a great justice system where... I was talking to my mom after this. I said, listen, this is not a great justice system because I did the research when I got my last ticket about how you can go about fighting the ticket. And if you 
you have to represent yourself or you can get a lawyer, but that's way too expensive. But you represent yourself. And if it goes to like a case, if the cop shows up and it goes to a case, then if you lose, you not only have to pay the maximum fine, but you have to pay the legal fees and it goes on your record. So if you lose, you're screwed. But if you win, you get out of the ticket. That's That doesn't seem very fair because... I feel like it's a it's almost a lose lose. It's like, well, I guess I might as well pay the ticket because if I fight it and it goes bad for me, then it's I'm in a worse situation. So or, like you just have to know the law cuz I know like there's if you get pulled over under suspicion for drunk driving, if you refuse the breathalyzer, that's probable cause. That it, you get the ticket. Like yeah. you, you automatically, it's automatically a DUI. Well, we talk about this in my politics class about like, if you get pulled over on a traffic stop, like what can the police do with reasonable suspicion? Probable like you, cause. Can, you can refuse it, but then you're arrested. So, well, yeah, <laughs> I, like I tell them, can you, if the officer asks for your license, can you refuse that? And they said, yes. And I said, yeah, you can, but your refusal to identify yourself might be probable cause. You know what I mean? Like, probable cause is more than a hunch, but, like, less than solid evidence. So, it, it can be kind of ambiguous what probable cause is. I think we give police too much power. I, you know what I hate? And I, you know, my... I got some people, I got some friends that are police officers, but, like, I mean, they... If you get down it, to the nitty-gritty, what do they mostly do? Not, they don't really solve crimes. They just take the police report so you can get the insurance money. So like that's that's what I found. They weren't going to find the people who threw a brick through my window. Mm -hmm. They were just going to write the police report so that the I didn't get charged for the broken window. Yeah, like that's their job. Like we should, they shouldn't be. Like I, I talked to my mom about this. I'm like, you know, they shouldn't be like pulling me over for minor traffic violations right like the thing that i got pulled over for obviously like it's it's against the law and it's wrong and everything but like i wasn't hurting anybody and i had an open road in front of me and my eyes were very clearly on on the on the road but i just like i, I, you know I think about I like a person going like going fast on the expressway when no one else is on the expressway but and a police officer pulls them over like you're just being a jerk it's like you're just point. being an asshole at this point because like no one else is on this road i'm not going to hurt anybody i'm just like keep up with the flow of traffic i am the traffic there is no traffic why do i have to go 30 uh, in, uh or like 50 right now when i like no one else is on the road at all i just hate when people like People in authoritative positions think that they're better than you because they're in that position. And that's how I felt that this police officer was acting towards me when I got the, my recent ticket. Maybe it makes ticket. me, like, like pretentious. And may maybe that's why I got, like... I, got, I got confrontational there is because, like, I was thinking about it. I'm like, who gives you the right to talk to me like this? I'm also, like, way smarter than you. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm like, who, who gives you the right to immediately be, a, like, an asshole to me? Because just just, be, to, just because of your job, just, I'm just be, like, like you, what, be, what gives you power over me? I'm just like trying to be nice, like, and that, and that's what I think about in my teaching too. Sometimes it's like, why, why yell, why yell at the kids and act like I'm better than them because I'm in a position of authority? I always like take the time to like ask kids like, why do you do this? 
why did you think this is okay? I'm always asking them why they do stuff and like what their reasoning behind what they did was because sometimes even though what they did was against the rules, sometimes their explanation makes sense and you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'm not going to give you as harsh of a punishment. Like uh, I had a kid bring a, a wrench to school and technically that is coming to school with a weapon. But I also took into mind... Or maybe he's trying to fix something. No, I took into mind that he didn't bring it out during the day. It fell out of his backpack at the end of the day. Um, he's in first grade. And, like, he also is an interesting kid. And I know grandma. He's a different kind of cat. He's a different kind of kid. And I know grandma. And she'll take it seriously. So, at the end of the day, I just went up to grandma like, hey... I found this in his backpack. Um, it fell out at the end of the day. And she's like, son, she's like, this is considered a weapon. You come to school, she's like, you're lucky you have the teacher you have. She's like, because this could get you suspended or expelled at any other school. And I was t telling grandma, I'm like, if I had taken, if I had given this to the office, it would have been like more of a punishment. But I'm like, it fell out of his bag at the end of the day. It isn't that big of a deal. I was like, He's not supposed to have it. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I'm going to have to watch my tools. He loves tools. I was like, oh, well, that's important to know. Mm -hmm. He's like a Mr. Fix-It guy. But I also think treating people like humans and not dehumanizing people who are like when you're in a position of power over them. Because it's important to acknowledge that you have a position of power over someone. And sometimes police do abuse their position of power. I think the way that that guy talked to me when I got pulled over was rude. Was rude. And that's why I was confrontational back because I'm like, who are you to like talk to me like that? Like, just be nice. Um, but that, I mean, it, it happens. Um, I mean, you can't control what other people do. And sometimes like even like sometimes bosses are rude. I never want to, I never want to work for rude people. So I, and I never understood that too. And I, I never understood why. And I've, I've never been in a position where I've been like yelled at by my boss. And I wouldn't take it. I would quit. I don't. I don't have time for that. I was like, if I, if I had a principal who yelled at me, I would be immediately looking for a new job the next school year. Because th well, that's not effective leadership. Like I, we talked about this in my grad classes, where it's like, if you if you have a confrontation with a student, the worst thing you can do is have a screaming match with them. The worst thing you can do is raise your voice at them to match their level because it's. Like, you you lose control at that point. You lose, uh, it, and it's modeling for other people as well, where if I'm giving off the vibe where if, you, if I have a problem with you, it's going to immediately be a yelling argument, then that's going to show other students that, you know, that's what's going to happen. And I think that's why my other, my coworkers. It invalidates you a little bit. I, no, I think that's why my coworkers, the other women who are in first grade, have such a hard time with the behavior with their classes is because my first reaction is to be calm. Mm -hmm. Because I was taught in grad school, you can't help regulate a child if you're not regulated. So if your emotions aren't in check, you can't help a child's emotion be in check. Calm voice. Calm voice. De-escalation. Like, you have to have your wits about you when you talk to a kid. And I know for a fact that when those teachers get aggravated, they do yell 
at their students. So it's not a surprise to me that her, their classes have behavior problems, like real bad behaviors where they only respond mm-hmm. to yelling. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, uh, a prop- not a proponent, but I've done that before. And like, this is why I don't do that anymore. So I, I think I've told the story on the pod before where I, um, was in a situation with my class, my freshman class this year where I accidentally let an F-bomb slip because I was mad. And I was like, um, I was like, you guys keep talking over me. And I was going to say it's freaking disrespectful. But instead <laughs> I was like, it's fucking disrespectful. And they all looked at me like, oh, my God, oh, my God, he said the F word. And I, I just rolled with it for a little while. But at the end of class, I'm like, I apologize for the f bomb. Like I apologized to them, and I was like, I didn't mean to say it. You know, I, you, you guys don't get me that mad. It's like it's it's was an accident. Sorry about that. Um, and I they I think that they appreciated the apology, but it was effective <laughs> in the moment. <laughs> I was like, oh well, it did what I needed it to do. Yeah. Um. um so I think like we got really off track. With, oh no, that's with, fine with our talk, but um, we. T- we left off on like this mass hysteria and like Jim. Well, can we talk about the scene where Edward goes to the bank? So <laughs> it just says bank. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing just says bank on it and, or the sign just says bank. But I told Brie when we were watching, I'm like, I don't know what these people expected because they're trying to get a salon for, this is before the robbery happens. And before Edward get, becomes a pariah to the neighborhood, they're trying to get Edward a salon, but the husband, says you need to take out a small business loan and that's enough to get started. So they go to the bank and it's Edward and Peg at the bank. And the guy from the banks makes a good point. He's like, you don't even I said exist. this I said this before the scene started. I'm like, how do they think they're gonna get a loan? Like this guy doesn't exist. And the the guy from the bank gives a really good point. He's like, no, I'm not gonna give you the loan. He's like, you have no credit. He's like, you have no social security number. You practically don't exist. He's like, you need to start getting these things, and then maybe we can talk. And the stupid, uh, the the stupid mom, a peg, she goes, well, he has the recommendation from these people, and it's like, no, we as a bank cannot give you this loan without collateral. Like you. You don't have a social security number. You don't have a line of credit. You can't do anything. We can't help you in any way. And I and then they got all mad at the bank. Like, I can't believe the bank would do that. How rude. And I told Bria, I was like, what do they think was going to happen? How do they think the world works? You can't just go into a bank with no social security number and be like, I want your money. <laughs> you can't do that. I, I just think it's a very strange scene. Like, of course he wasn't going to get the loan. Um... I've, but but I, I understand why that scene is in there because at, it's at that point where we really see the he's like not, the he doesn't fit. Yeah, like he's not he's not going. His dream is not going to work here. Up until that point, everything at, was like everything really, was going well for Edward. And then after that is where everything really goes downhill. Yeah, and we get to the point like after he gets caught, after he's arrested, after he's released, they're having like a a Christmas party. Um, and like all the, you get like this thing with all the women of the neighborhood talking and they're all like, I can't believe she's still having the Christmas party. Are you going? No, I said, maybe we'll be able to make it. And it's like now the, the family's getting shunned because they rally or they like, they still accept Edward for like who he is. So like, it's very, it's unfortunate for the family because they're not going to 
Now they don't fit in. Did you notice how Peg's hair gets shorter and shorter and shorter? Because she keeps having haircuts done by Mm -hmm. to make Edward feel yeah good. Like Mm -hmm. she'll do like it's very much a mom who like supports her son regardless of anything. And then we get but also his haircuts suck. They're egregious. (laughs) They're they're so bad. So like there's a woman at the end of the movie that comes out of her house and And has her her hair is like a goose. It looks like a goose in the front. Like it's got the the bird neck. But I think that's very Tim Burton esque. Oh, that I looked at. Well, I mean, yes, it is very Tim Burton esque to be like weird like that. But I told Brie when we were watching the movie. Very Hoovian. They're Hoovian. This is um, Whoville from like the Grinch. Like these are the haircuts that the the Who's would have. Um, and then we get like Jim. I wrote Jim. Jim but- is the boyfriend. Right? Uh, yeah, I said Jim Butthole McGee. Because he comes over. That's his name? And he's, yeah. Oh. Um, he co- he just like really hates Edward. And we get to the no, point. No, he's just a dick. Yeah, like really hates. And he's so mean. So we get to this point where like they're, they're all like waiting for people to arrive to the Christmas party. And Edward's out back and he's making an ice sculpture. And snow is coming down from the ice sculpture. And Kim is like dancing in it. And then jim comes into the yard and he like yells and it scares edward and his scissors cut kim's hand and jim takes that as all the proof he needs that this guy is horrible and you hurt her blah blah blah. and kim's like you know that's not true like blah blah blah. and it kind of leads to edwards gets mad he starts like chopping down like chopping up stuff and then the women of the neighborhood call the police yeah. Well, he also like stabbed somebody's tire. Oh yeah. So he's like committing crimes. He, he's committing crimes. He's lashing out. And again, this is a, a symptom when Edward gets arrested. There's a psychologist there that they say, "Is he okay to like go out in the world?" Psychologist is like, Edward had doesn't have like the years of isolation he had in that castle had has made him not aware of how reality functions, and he doesn't know the difference between right and wrong which we do know edward does know the difference between right and wrong he was taught that by his papa yes um but edward's edward has a very weird grip on reality he doesn't know how society functions but then it's weird because they're like is he okay to like go out into society like yeah sure whatever he's not like (laughs) dangerous yeah um and then we get, like, the, the police are on the look for him. Of course, he's afraid of the police. He's been arrested before. Uh, very much fear of the police. And we get this. And this is where, like, the movie speeds up, I feel. Because we're going to get through it this. It escalates. Yeah, we're yeah. going to get through this really quickly. Because it's, like, everyone's looking for Edward. Um, and Kim, Kim tells Edward, you got to get out of here, yeah. guy. Um, Jim is, like, looking for him. And they're, they've been drinking. And there's a point where they're going to hit kim's little brother kevin yeah and so edward like pushes him out of the street and saves him but edward also is very awkward has scissors for him and like accidentally cuts him oh no my scissors well like trying to make sure he's okay and of course kevin's like afraid right like he was getting cut up he was uh, he was afraid like he's fine like it's better than being flattened edward like get get the f off me dude um so edward runs right not not before being like hit and assaulted by Jim and to get away from Jim, Edward cuts his arm like mm-hmm. pretty like severely gives him. A, I probably wouldn't get into a fight with a guy that has, has scissors, scissors for hands. And so he runs away to the, the castle and the police officer 
pretends to shoot him. He just fires up at the sky, which I think is the police officer supposed to like let the neighborhood know, like leave it. Be. Is, it, it that, is that this? I couldn't remember. Is that the same police officer? Yes. From the, the court. Yeah. The court. So he that police officer like he expresses that he feels for Edward. Like, do you think it's because the police officer is black? Maybe, and maybe that is a commentary on the way society treats people that look different than them. Because you notice this this neighborhood is very white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like the only African-American. And, and maybe that was a directorial a dir- choice. And I think, and he's the nicest one to Edward he's after. The, he's the one that's the most understanding to after Edward. After Edward gets arrested, he's the only person who still thinks of Edward highly. It's like that conversation of um, what it reminds me of is... Is this you, a, you is ever this a seen, take on race as well? I don't know about that. I would I don't know if I'd go that far. I w- I would think it's more generally people that are different. Um But do you think that it also during this time people who are different are also people of a different race as mm-hmm. well, especially in the suburbs, early especially suburbs. In the 60s. The 60s, too. the suburbs, the suburbs were white people primarily white. Like white people were leaving white cities yes. because they didn't want to be around people of color mm-hmm. um it reminds me you, you've seen the original teen Titans show mm-hmm. cyborg at one point talks to starfire about like being different and she's like it's because you're a cyborg and he like without because it's a children's show yeah he's like, like without well, saying more than that yeah without saying it's because he's black it's like no there's something more to that and like being treated differently by society because of not being a cyborg but you know, also the race being a, thing. Like being a black man who's also a cyborg. <laughs> yeah. So like cyborg in general is a commentary on being treated differently because you are different than everybody else. But um, like the X-Men were the same way. The X-Men were a commentary on civil rights um, and a commentary on treating people differently because of the way that they are. There's a lot of stuff that's like that. Tim Burton does play around with that in this movie and i think throughout the movie edward does discover himself because he's in situations that allow him to flourish a Mm -hmm. little bit and be creative and be imaginative but it's not necessarily that he's accepted because of that no he's he's always treated as novel like when people keep saying i can have a doctor take a look at this multiple but people never give it to him because if edward didn't have scissors for hands he'd be like everybody else and they they talk about that when edward's being interviewed on tv and he says he would want to be like everybody else Mm -hmm. and i think that's like the the like the thing there it's like people don't want edward to be the same as everyone else because they like the novelty where he would rather be like everybody else I think the end of I this... Could, you could relate this to a lot of things. You could relate it to be just a person who is different. You could relate it to um, being a person of color. You could also relate it to people in the LGBTQ, where it's like, you just don't fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just don't fit the mold. Um, the end of this movie, and the last like maybe 20 minutes in this final act, is very reminiscent of Beauty and the Beast. Yes. So we have Kim is going to the castle. Right, followed by the Gaston or Jim. Make Belle my wife. And he, she comes up there and she goes up there to like talk to him and everything. And Jim comes out and says, Get away from her. And 
kind of things like that. And she kind of fights him. Get but your he, damn scissor hands and off he, her. And Jim like like assaults her, like throws her down. And Edward's had enough of Jim. And he stabs him. And he falls out of a window, much like Similarly Gaston, to Gaston. <laughs> falls off the balcony mm-hmm. and to his death. It's like they both die in similar ways. Right? This is definitely Tim Burton's Beauty and the Beast. I, especially this last act. Maybe everything leading up to the last act is not Beauty and the Beast, but I, the last act is for sure a it take on Beauty and the Beast. It's definitely Tim Burton's Beauty and the Beast. Or Frankenstein. Yeah. Because uh, in Frankenstein, not people weren't accepting of the monster at first, but like like they were to Edward. They didn't turn on the monster. Immediately, they were just freaked out by the monster. But it's the moment that the monster you know, does something that is wrong that everybody turns against the monster. So in Frankenstein, it's the moment that he throws the girl into the river because he just doesn't understand that everybody's like, F this guy, kill the monster, fire, 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 and the townspeople all rally against the monster. Similarly to Edward, right? Yeah. The moment Edward does something wrong, that's the moment everybody forms an angry mob and so like the towns after the police officer pretends to like shoot him the town doesn't believe that he's dead they go and follow um they try to go up to the castle um kim after edward kills um jim she like finds she's like you you gotta stay here like blah blah blah. she takes like a pair of like prototype scissor hands and she goes outside to meet the mob who have discovered the dead body. And she's like, they fought. The roof caved in on him. It's like, he's dead. Here's proof. But we know that Edward's alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like the end of that reality of that story. And then we go back to the grandmother at the end. And she's saying like, and I, she, the girl's like, you can't believe that's true. And it's like, I can because I was there. And he's like, why didn't you ever go back? And she's like, well, I'm old now. And I don't want him to, I want him to remember me as I was. Mm-hmm. Which I always think about, I guess, I'm thinking about vampires. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and it's like, okay, your, your significant other is immortal. Anthony can relate to this. Your significant other is immortal. You're going to age, Anthony. I'm going to remain the same. And will, will I still love you when you're old? Sure. When I'm 64. If I stayed the same? Sure. But she's like, I don't, he's, every time it snows, like, she's like, it didn't start snowing here until Edward. So, uh, she's like, I think it's Edward, like, carving ice sculptures up there. And you're like, this is a load of baloney, right? Like, this is just a story that grandma tells to -hmm. explain what, why snow happens. But then the end of the movie is like a shot of Edward making a bunch of ice sculptures. Oh yeah, like he's real, he's up there, he's doing his thing. And that's like the ending cutaways, like the credits where he's just like, and the snow is billowing out the win- open window of the castle. Yeah. I have a question for you. What's the question? Should they make a sequel? No. Why would you make a sequel? This to, movie said- To Edward, to Scissorhands? No. <laughs> it said all it needed to say in this movie. Yeah. Um, cool. So I think that, I think we covered most of it you know the themes are very blatant here being an outsider isolation Dude, i liked it like it's it lives up to what i had in my mind mm-hmm. and it's been a while since i've seen this movie too so i appreciated the review and the rewatch um i have a question for you what is the question does it make your list it does not i feel like even though this is a really good movie and like everyone should see it 
Um, I don't think it's anything spectacular. It's not like, okay, so it's not like Beetlejuice where I really like am enamored with Beetlejuice. I think Beetlejuice is more culturally relevant. Do I absolutely love Johnny Depp in this role? Yes. 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 I think this is where my love for Johnny Depp came from. I watched, I wore scissor hands and I was like, so handsome because my type has always been men with like dark black hair and look kind of goth i do have a couple of questions though he's not human right no he's definitely like a robot man but with guts with guts okay he's modeled after that the slicing robot the slicing robot like um, the the guy looked at the slicing robot put a cookie with a, a heart cookie up to the slicing robot and had the idea what if i what if made... i created a person yeah um and he, okay, so it's he, like the same body as the slicing robot. And the one last thing he forgot to replace were the cutting hands. Can Edward take the hands off? No, I don't think so. Can anybody take the hands off of Edward? Maybe a good doctor. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I think they wouldn't be able to put hands on him because it's not like the inventor. You know what I mean? They, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right, but. Maybe they give him like a hook or something. Maybe. It's a little bit safer. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give him a peg. Or maybe a little less scissors. Maybe only one pair of scissors on each hand. Like a sword. <laughs> <laughs> Edward's sword hands. <laughs> they can do like a Evil Dead and give him a chainsaw. Maybe. Maybe. Two chainsaws. <laughs> chainsaw hands. Edward chainsaw hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's our sequel. <laughs> that, that, that way he can cut his uh, ice sculptures a little bit better. Maybe. He can maybe. do wood now. Yes. Cool. Uh, there's our seat. Let's, Anthony, does let's this write make, it. Does this make yours? No, it does not. But um, it's not that I didn't like it. We do like it. It's it's just, just, I'm very picky about my list. And if I didn't put Beetlejuice on the list. I think this I has an important message. I just think it's a weird way to say this think, message. What do you think is Tim Burton's masterpiece? Do you think this is Tim Burton's masterpiece? Do you think this is like the best work of his career? No, I think his, the best work of his career is a movie he produced and not a movie he directed. Okay, if I you think, were to say directed, though. Directed? No, I think Beetlejuice is far better than this one. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. We I, still have movies to go. I think this is Tim Burton's shot at being dramatic and shot at being, like, creating a um, he more does, serious movie. He does more serious work later on mm -hmm. with, like... A movie that we're not going to review, like The Corpse Bride. Sure. It's really, it's a really good movie. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it just didn't make the cut for me because we have... Oh, Scissors Cut? <laughs> the uh. Cut. Um, I think if we're going to look at... I think one of his best movies is probably animated. Um, directorially, I would probably lean towards a later movie that we're going to review on the podcast okay. as like more of his masterpiece. Um, but if I'm saying... In all his collection of work, it's a movie he produced, I think, is his best work. Mm -hmm. um, I would say Nightmare Before Christmas is a movie he produced. And it's... It's got it, his fingerprints all it's, over it's, it, though. His fingerprints are all over. It's definitely his style, even though he didn't um, well, direct it. Well, that's got to be so weird as being a director, but also having to stay in the the style of Tim Burton. But he works with like the same director when he's a producer. Okay. On yeah, movies, so it's like sense. so like in several movies where he's the producer and not the director, it's the same guy. Tim Burton is very much about collaborating with the same people, the people that he works best with. 
Um, it has to be someone who understands Tim Burton's vision. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, like, there's like, like Tim Burton was very heavily involved with Nightmare that, Before that Christmas. That podcast that I mentioned earlier, Cancelled Movie Report, when they were talking about Superman Lives, they were talking about Tim Burton's role in potentially directing it. And Tim Burton almost immediately threw out Kevin Smith's draft of Superman Lives. And he's like, I want to work with my people. So uh, eventually Tim Burton just wasn't happy with everything. But that that's that's very much it's who a, he is. Sim- a symptom he, of like what we're experiencing here like almost exclusively the same actors mm-hmm. like he wanted to get his writers in on that superman movie even though his writers like admitted that they didn't know much about superman writing the movie i mean he's he's fantastic and i think this is a really good movie i just don't think it's his best work that's why it doesn't make my list i think Beetlejuice is better yeah i think Tim Burton's best work is a movie that's not on your list of uh What would you say is best Batman? Work? I mean I think it's Tim Burton's best work. That's your opinion. Yeah, but you know That's your opinion. So I mean we can cover Tim Burton's Batman at a later time. But uh, we're also I'm hope we do a producer series where we talk where we pick like a producer. I would wouldn't you, would you pick Tim Burton? No, again? I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't. Even though I'd love to get you to watch Nightmare Before Christmas. I've watched it before. I know, but sometimes you don't. So I have, I'm very much set in my ways. Like Anthony knows this. I watch like the same movies around each holiday. Like every holiday I have to watch The Grinch. It has to be the Jim Carrey Grinch. I love watching Elf. Every Christmas Eve we watch the SpongeBob Christmas special. (laughs) But he doesn't put up a fight with that. He does put up a fight with The Grinch. He does not like to watch The Grinch. Um... No, I don't. But I'm trying to think of like who we could maybe cover for producers series. Like who's a notable producer? Uh, I don't know. I think a producer. There's like Jerry Bruckheimer. No, it'd be a really fun like series. Christopher Nolan. You can like do as having a like um, uh, actor turned producer series. So like mo- movies or TV episodes. Brad pro- Pitt produced by actors. And how that affects the like the final product. Okay, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we Let's, should just focus. We should on just what, focus on this. We so got a whole summer. It doesn't make our list. No, I don't think it makes my list either. But not for not to say that it's not good. And it it's, is very good. It's very good. Um, and you should watch it's, it. It's representative haven't. of Tim Burton's directorial style and his creative imagination. Um, I have to say, this movie is the start of what every Tim Burton movie kind of encapsulates from from. This scissor hands forward. scissor hands on all his movies kind of have the same like overall look yes yeah you can definitely you can pinpoint a tim burton style when you see it right like definitely if you walked in to dark shadows not knowing it was directed by tim burton or produced by i forget if he produced or directed it you know right away that's a tim burton movie if you didn't even know it right like you walk in, you're like, sunken eyes, dark features, gothic architecture. This is a Burton movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or it's a Burton copycat. Yeah. But, yeah. So, I think we're going to wrap it up at that point. Um, Brie, where can we find You can everybody? find us on Instagram at review underscore pod. You can email us at review pod. No, review podcast one at gmail.com. Okay. He got it. You can follow Anthony on Twitter. At GLDTV1. And you can tie a note to a balloon, release it, and I will find it eventually if you need to get a hold of me. Yeah, that's fair. 
um cool so next uh next week we will be back with the next movie in our paul thomas anderson series which uh is uh something that i've been excited to watch um next week we'll be back with paul thomas anderson's punch drunk love which i've never seen so it should be interesting yeah i love that movie i love it (laughs) It, it, like spoilers do you think i will like it yes uh apparently well like i haven't watched it yet but apparently i'm not gonna like magnolia so i'm just gonna say right now i don't like magnolia and again we were uh we're, we're out of we're, order. We're out of, recording we're out of order. Yeah, but, we're busy. We got stuff to do this weekend. Yes. Uh, next next week in recording and release order will be Punch Drunk Love. So stick with us next week, and then we'll reveal the next Tim Burton movie on our next podcast. So keep listening. Do 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 do. The review podcast. I'm Anthony. <laughs> I'm Bree. And that's it. Bye.